All right, Galatians chapter 6. Open up your Bibles, please, to Galatians 6 at verse 11. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? Good to see you. All right, Galatians 6, 11, we're going to go through verse 13. Very end of the book here, and it starts with this. See what, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us that is new every morning. We thank you for your kindness in Christ. We thank you that you have opened our eyes to your gospel and truth of your Son. We thank you that your Son lived among us and uh, died and rose again and is now seated to your right hand. And Father, we do pray that he would come quickly and that he would make all things straight and smooth. And Father, we pray that um, in the meantime that we would walk in a manner worthy of our Savior and point people toward um, his power and his coming. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that as we study it, that it would help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, he, um, <clears throat> he's, he's getting to the end of this, this work now, and he, he took a detour into sort of the doctrine of sanctification, but the first five chapters, you remember, was all about justification. I mean, we just kept, he kept pounding that message of how we are justified, and he worked through his Old Testament examples and made his arguments, and then, you know, five was walk by the Spirit, live in holiness, and six, he had um, more, uh, more along those, you know, more exhortations along those lines, um, how to love one another, how to bear one another's burdens, how to um, do that. And now we're at the end, and so he circles back to his first topic. He circles back to the primary reason he was writing this letter, sort of to drive it home here right at the end. And um, <clears throat> he's, he begins by, by stating that he's writing this letter with large letters, now, we don't know, there's speculation about why he was writing with large letters. I think our immediate thought is he's using all caps. 
right? He's shouting at them, right? Look at what large letters I'm writing with here. Um, you know, so it's for emphasis or um, perhaps he took the pen from his amanuensis and wrote in his own script, which he does in other letters, to authenticate his letters, right? And so, um, or he's writing with large letters because his eyesight is bad. That's another theory. Remember earlier in the book of Galatians where he said, uh, you would have even plucked out your eyes for me. Based upon that, we think maybe the thorn in the flesh or, or the thing that he asked to be delivered from or his affliction was, was an onset of macular degeneration or blindness. So, I don't know. Um, we don't know the answer to that. It, it is interesting that the, the Apostle Paul did use an amanuensis. That's just a, a fancy word for someone else wrote down what he dictated to that a secretary. Um, taking dictation would be the same sort of thing. So someone would take down his words. He did not write them with his own hand. And it's, it's hard to tell... Some, some speculate that this letter, he wrote the whole thing by, uh, by him, you know, without an amanuensis. Uh, because he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not mentioned um, as it is in other letters. Uh, he just interrupts here and says, you know, I'm using large letters to write to you with my own hand. Could be that the whole letter was written by him. Um, <clears throat> Luther Luther paraphrased this and uh, this verse, his paraphrase of it is, I never wrote so long an epistle with mine own hand to any other church as I have done to you. For as for his other epistles, as he spake, others wrote them, and afterwards he subscribed his salutation and name with his own hand, as it is to be seen in the end of his epistles." And then, so Luther takes it as evidence that he wrote the whole letter himself. Calvin believes that he wrote the whole letter himself, and he didn't use his normal process. If you go back to Romans, Romans chapter 16, <clears throat> at the very end, the grace of the Lord be with you, this is 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Right? So Tertius right there, who is the amanuensis for Paul, says, look, I'm writing this letter for you. And, um, and then we could go to like 1 Corinthians. At the end of 1 Corinthians, here's what Paul, uh, the apostle, says. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. So it's like he signed it with his own hand, clearly just the very end there. And then 2 Thessalonians uh, 3.17, we read this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write <laughs> at the very end there. So that, at the very least, most, if not all of his letters... He dictated and then took the pen, signed them with some sort of salutation. And, uh, but Galatians, Galatians may have been all his work. 
And that may, may be because of his intensity. He, he wanted the whole book to be written in his own hand. So that's, um, that's that. Any other thoughts on that verse? See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Strange. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is really important. I hope you're listening, he's saying with this. So then back to, so that's that, verse 11. Um, Verse 12, and this, you know, to go back to one other thought on verse 11. Um, Our doctrine of inspiration is not a doctrine of divine, um, you know, uh, it's it's not that the, it's not divine dictation, right? It's not like the apostles heard the words from God from heaven and wrote them down. That's not, that's not the, that's what happened to Joseph Smith. That's what happened to Muhammad. But that's not what happened to the writers of the the Bible, right? They were holy men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they they thought their thoughts, their personalities are evident in the Word. It's not like we get the personality of the Word of God or the Son of God or God Himself. The personalities, the various phrases, the the life experience, I mean, think of Paul's life experience. It's all written in the book, right? And so our doctrine of inspiration is that the Holy Spirit worked through and with the uh, minds and personalities of the, the apostles and prophets, okay? But it wasn't dictated to them, and they were just like listening and writing it down. Mm-mm. Not, Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> well, what do you think? <laughs> What's your... <laughs> What's your take? Well, I think Peter... Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But there, the Apostle Peter talked about the, the Scripture and the works of Paul as Scripture. And so if Peter knew that, you know, then there was some knowledge that what was being written contemporaneously was the was inspired word. So, I mean, based upon that, the end of what is it, <clears throat> or the first chapter of Second Peter? Is that what I'm thinking of? Guys, help me out. Thank you. Uh, da 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 da. Um, we 
did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, um, such an utterance was made that to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with you, uh, with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's, one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Right. Where does he mention the Apostle Paul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, in regard the patient of the Lord is salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So... The writings of the Apostle Paul, contemporary, are lumped together with the rest of Scripture. So there was some knowledge of this, but that's interesting, you know. Was Paul, like, uh, aware of it as he was writing, you know? Or was he aware of it after the fact? Or Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, last book of the Bible says don't take away or add to this book. Yes. What's a, what's an application you pull out? Yeah. <laughs> Write letters. <laughs> All right, any other thoughts on Paul's large letters written in his own hand? Yeah? It's a long letter, though. I mean, as far as letters are concerned, it is a long epistle. <clears throat> it's a long le- If you got a letter this long, you'd be like, whoa. It'd be like a lot of pages in that envelope. Yeah. No, I got you. All right, verse 12 then. He's going back to the main point of this epistle. He's going back to teach on... to, to 
take one last crack at the Judaizers, right? Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. All right, so that's, that's the main point. Remember, those who desire... There are those in the church who desire to compel the Galatians to be circumcised, to return to the ceremonial law, right? And he's using circumcision as a synecdoche for the whole ceremonial law, which would include what? If they're going to do circumcision, what else do they have to engage in? Okay, the ceremonial sacrifices, right? What else? Purification rituals, the food laws, the fellowship laws, the feasts, and the feast days, right? All of those things would, would come into play, right? And yet, all they wanted these Galatians to do was get circumcised, you know? And the, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yep, for sure. That's definitely what's what seems to be motivating them. But you know, what is so thinking back on the early part of the book. Circumcision is, if you, if you seek the Lord via circumcision, and just, you know, just think about what we're, when I use that word, <laughs> think about what I'm saying, right? Pursuing the Lord through circumcision, that covenant right of the Old Testament, is opposed to Seeking the Lord no these Judaizers are Christians. they would claim that they have the Son. justification does not come by being circumcised, it comes through faith, right And so they want an externalized religion rather than an internalized heart religion, right Faith versus works, the outward versus the inward, right? And so they, they, they say the inward's necessary to some extent, but only, you know, but then they're like, but, but Moses, remember? But, but laws, but, but all these commands from God, we can't just blow off those commands that God give us. Is not his word eternal, you know? And so... Um, circumcision as opposed to an internalized living faith, that outward works versus inward faith. This has been the main point of the book, remember. The works of the law cannot justify and were never put in place to be a mechanism for your justification. That is not why the law ever existed, okay? Which Paul argues elsewhere. 
The works of the law cannot justify, were never meant to justify. Rather, faith in Christ justifies a man before God. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Just to check that we're, we're tracking the basics here. What does it mean to be justified? What is justification? Does anybody know the catechism answer to what is justification? Imputed to us and received by faith alone. So say it again slowly. That's justification, right? Pardons all of our sins as we are in Christ, right? But by that merit, that merit that comes to us, that is imputed to us on the basis of faith, faith alone. That's your justification. It's God declaring you righteous in his sight, right? Righteous in his sight. Um. It is a, a declarative act of God. <clears throat> and so they wanted to add the ceremonial law, just a little bit of the law, right, to that transaction. A little bit of your own merit plus the merit of Christ imputed to us. A little bit of that. And they wanted to, it says, the Judaizers wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. They wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. In other words, they were trying to, they were trying first to impress someone. They wanted to make a good showing. They wanted to be able to parade the Galatian Christians around like, look at this. Look at this assembly up, up in, you know, far away from Jerusalem. And we got the, the whole congregation circumcised, the men. We, we, we've got them to buy into, we've got them to not disparage Moses. Right? And they wanted, they wanted to, to have a showing in them. I think the Jews back in Jerusalem, who had missed the boat, the Jews back in Jerusalem wanted to be able to, you know, that's the ones they wanted to impress, these Judaizers, these missionaries of the, the Judaizing faith. And so the circumcision of those Gentile believers would do the trick, right? That would be the thing where they could say, look, we got these Gentile believers to become Jews via circumcision, to adhere to the law. And so um, those Judaizers want to be able to have a boast in the, that church, Right, and we've talked about boasting before, right? Boasting may be the reason you do most of the things in your life today. Boasting. You want to have a boast. 
Why do you follow sports teams? Because you want to have a boast. My team that I followed for 28 years won the Super Bowl, you know? And we're just like, yes. And when they lose, like the Packers lost last night, you're like, oh man, I don't know if I can go on for like 10 minutes. Because right? you're, you're disappointed. You don't have that boast. You don't have that, yeah, you know, something to, something to boast in. And, um, or you street preach and, and you get likes when you post your videos on social media. That's my favorite boast. Street preachers searching for likes after posting the video of their preaching on social media. That one to me is precious. I just, oh man. Um, it, it, it gets to the point where I'm like, you know, if, if a video camera is not there filming a street preacher, has the street preacher really preached? It's like the tree falling in the forest question, right? <laughs> oh, man. You know, you send your children to a private Christian school that just bought a new building. And you have a boast, you know, you have a boast. You dropped refined sugars from your diet, which is crazy, but you have a boast, right? It's good for you. It's very good for you to do that. It's, it would help, it would help your inflammation. I know it would. But what you like more than it helping your inflammation is the fact that you can tell people you don't touch refined white sugars, you know? We, we boast about these things. You're guilty, I'm guilty. I mean, I, I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. Um, some Christians do what they... Uh, do not so that they might be pleasing to God, but so that they may have a boast. All Christians do that. And it's sin, right? We don't do it in order to please God. Or we're not motivated by that. We have a, a ton of other motivations. Our motivation might be our health, our reputation or something. But in the end, one of the motivations that's very pervasive is just so that we can boast, that I'm not like other men. I do not partake of refined white sugar. Right? Missionaries compare how many converts they had have with other missionaries. Do you know that when pastors get together in presbytery, they ask each other how big their churches are now? How many are you running this, this, this year? Why? Because we want to boast. We want to, we want to express our superiority over somebody else, right? Pastors get together, and, and the first question is, honestly, usually, how many are you running these days? You know? How many sheep in the pen? <laughs> it's, it's terrible. 
decisional regeneration is keep statistics on how many people come down the aisle so that they can publish it and boast, right? We had 45 converts at our services this last Sunday. Did you see them all walk down the aisle? You know, they, they just like not approximate stats, like the number. Christian seminaries and colleges relax their doctrinal convictions to increase enrollment so that they can boast an increased enrollment, right? They, they just say, look, we, we want to build bridges. We want to relax our standards, but we still hold to them. We're still orthodox. We just need to, we need to be winsome and we need to be evangelistic. And so enrollment shoots through the roof, and, they're, and then they're like, look what we did. What's your enrollment running this year? Um, we come to church not because our hearts have a vital need to worship, but just so that we can be seen. You know? And... This is all, you know, I'm just giving these examples to make it contemporary, to say that the, the, the temptation of the Judaizers is the temptation that we face, right? There are all kinds of ways that we want to be able to boast. And the Judaizers boasted that they had gotten many Gentile converts, and they probably had a specific number of men that got circumcised in the Galatian church, and they're going to report it back to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's going to be like, woohoo! We've got, we've got the, this, this faraway Gentile church that's, that's returning to this, that, that is not disparaging the Old Testament. And so we want to boast some reason to think ourselves superior to others, and that's fleshly thinking. That's terribly fleshly thinking. It's It's sinful. Our, our fleshly thinking is as fleshly as boasting in the circumcision of Gentile converts. That's just so weird. Other than accolades, so the one thing that's, mo- there, there's not just one thing that's motivating the Judaizers to do this. The one is the boast. The other is what? Which Sandy was alluding to. The other is what? The what? Well, no. I mean, sort of. It comes into play. I understand what you're saying. What? Protected status, but but say it like Paul says it. Look at your Bibles. No one's looking at your Bibles. It, the answers are all in the Bible. That's it. For what? For the cross of Christ, for being a Christian, for holding to, by cross he means the all of Christian doctrine, right? So they want to avoid persecution. Now who would persecute Christians who came to faith in Christ? Well, who would do it? 
Jews would, right? The Jews would, uh, I mean, everywhere Paul went, what did he do? He went into the synagogue and they and told them about Jesus, and then they kicked him out of town. They ran him out of town. Sometimes they followed him to the next town so they could stone him, right? Yeah, and so the Jews, and so, okay, let's add a Jewish flavor to our Christianity to appease the Jews. Just a little flavor of it, just the ceremonial law, which is not a little flavor. It's, it's sort of all the way going Jewish. <laughs> right? Especially if all those ceremonial laws have been abrogated in Christ. They're gone. Right? To return to them is to return to the whole law as a means of justification. Who else? The Romans. Romans aren't friendly with the Christians. The Christians are atheists and, you know, cannibals and, and they won't worship the emperor, right? They're rebels. And Rome wants them to uh, not be Christians. And so one of the ways, so how, how, do, how do you placate the Romans? during that age. You become a Jew. Because Jews are protected by the Romans. Jews have freedoms, right? That the Christians don't have. And so the Judaizers can, like, it's, it's the perfect scheme, right? You can please both the Jews and the Romans simultaneously by, by be just becoming a Jewish Christian, by just, you know, um, circumcising your males. The Jewish religion was accepted by the Romans. And so, um, think about this. The Judaizers are Christians, right? At least in their profession. They don't understand justification, so they might not be on the reservation, right? But they have a profession of faith. We're not dealing with with Jews who are trying to make them Jews. We're dealing with Christians who believe that the Christian faith has a works righteousness aspect to justification, right? And so it's not, it's, it's heretical doctrine, right? So, so but they, they know about Christ, and yet they're, they're, they're wanting to... Um, Avoid persecution. Taking up the ceremonial law would go a long way in making both of those parties happy. All you have to do is be reasonable about the law. This is called pragmatism. That's pragmatism. What's pragmatism? Somebody, somebody tell me what pragmatism is or, or what a definition of it is or give an example of pragmatism. Doing what works uh, as opposed to what's right. Yeah. It's... Um, 
one of the definitions I came across was it's an approach that assesses the truth of beliefs in terms of their success, the success of their practical application, right? Is it producing success, right? And so pragmatism for the Judaizers was like, okay, we got to figure out a way that we don't get killed, okay? And so our doctrine needs to adapt so that we don't get killed by either the Jews or the Romans. That's a pragmatic decision. Rather than holding to the doctrine of justification, they said we need to tweak the doctrine of justification so that it has the result that we don't get dead. That's pragmatism. Okay? But pragmatism has no, I mean, we don't struggle with that in the church today. Do we? Well, I mean, I can't think of any examples. Can you think of examples of pragmatic approach to everything? Yeah. Yeah, I would say primary and authoritative overriding influence, the latter. Yeah, Sarah. You missed one in there. That's foolish. Yeah. The Judaizers were not so much concerned that their position was true. They were concerned about what effect it would have if it were put in place. And if they got positive results, then they were fine with that, right? That's pragmatism, okay? And that's proven not because of what they were doing. It's proven by what Paul says about them. They wanted to avoid persecution, Jesus told us that we would face persecution if we followed him. And they wanted to be free from that. So they're motivated by being free from one of the central doctrines that Jesus taught us. And that means that they're shooting for something that's not true, but pragmatic. Something that would benefit them in the here and now. Right? Breton, can you think of any examples of pragmatism in the church or in upper education?
Right. It's a low bar. Let's see. Yep. I think of, I think of, and I haven't talked about this in a while, but the whole um, homosexualist movement in the PCA, Revoice. What is Revoice? Revoice is tweaking the doctrine of sanctification and the doctrine of concupiscence so that you can be a Christian and get your flame on. Not to put too fine a point on it. So that you can be a Christian and a feminine. So that you can be a Christian and you can have um, inordinate, you know, uh, perverse desires that are somehow not, not in the perverse category. And, and that, that's pragmatism right there, okay? It, that's not hearing God's no and instead saying, how can we figure this out? How can we make this work out? There's got to be a way that we could tweak our theology and fit it in here and fit it in there. And then we can, we can say, homosexuals don't need to repent. They just can't copulate. They can have the affections, but they can't do the actions. Oh, boy. That's pragmatism. Oh, sure. Sure it is. Good example. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, with that example of, of um, Pope, what's his name? Francis. I'm sorry, I forgot the Pope's name. <laughs> scandalous. Pope Francis comes out with that letter that apparently no one understands, and like everybody's confused about what he says, but the immediate result was like Francis is softening the Roman Catholic Church's position on toward homosexual marriages, okay? And of course, what is he trying to figure out? He's trying how to figure out how to thrive in the 21st century as the Roman Catholic Church, as a church that has a long history of this and that, and then a long history of sexual abuse and a long history of clergy who can't be married, right? And then, and then you know, marriage is a sacrament, and now trying to figure out how do homosexual marriages fit into that. And yeah, he just, he, he just wants to be with the times. He just wants to get with the times. That's a pragmatic decision, right? The Judaizers didn't care about their, whether their position was true or good. It was not, but what the end result would be and the end result was their, was their praise and their freedom from persecution. Two big things. They got a boast, and they didn't get killed. Yeesh. Which makes us think we should probably, as Christians, always be ready to die. That's what Calvin said in his commentary. He's like, don't get so comfortable. You should always be prepared to die as a Christian. 
And we, we f- think of that fearfully, um, but we don't know what a week brings. Things drastically change so quickly in history that we don't know what persecution we'll face, you know? But what we don't want to do is when persecution comes, say, well, just tell me how to change the Bible. Tell me how to change my doctrine. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want, and I'll do it. Sarah? Yeah. Think about where you are doing this in your life. We do this, okay? This is part of our sin that we have to repent of. We get pragmatic, right? And I'm not saying that certain situations take wisdom and, you know, that there's cut and dried. This is what you do in this situation. Some things are very hard and you have to work through them. But consider where you are just like, I am not willing to do what Christ did because it means this. And I don't want to lose this. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Last word right here. Look, you just witness to him. You love him. You don't treat him like he's anything other than a sinner like yourself. You love him. But you have to lead with the gospel because if you don't, you're going to want to compromise. You're going to want to wait to work out where he's okay and I don't have to do anything. Just lead with the gospel. Sabotage the relationship as soon as you can. Right? Just... I think we have to do that because we're weak. Because we're weak and then we won't. And then, we'll, and then we'll start twisting our heads up and like, oh, here are the five reasons I don't need to do that and why it lacks compassion. All right, we've got to pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would reveal to us how we are acting like Judaizers. And Lord, we pray that we would rest in you, that we would delight only in the cross of Christ, that that would be our singular boast, and that we would leave off all of our rambunctious boasting and dividing with other people and lauding over others. Lord, forgive us for these sins. They're so frequent. May we honor you and 
grow in humility. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.